now that the world is just kind of one big persistent uh, breaking news event, have you noticed on TV uh, that uh, phones have replaced like tape recorders and press conferences and when people are like doing stuff like in the halls of Congress or like uh, specifically like post game interviews where people are just shoving like 50 iPhones in uh, some dude's face? That was going to be my example. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know when that switch flipped or if I'm just maybe like I'm just paying more attention to it. But like it feels like before it used to be like one of those little like Sony um, like micro SD tape recorder thingies. Uh, well, except not a tape recorder because I the first part negated that. But um, yeah, it all, it all of a sudden became iPhones. And that's that's very that's that's curious. Just another one of those single use devices that, you know, kind of was a casualty of the rise of the smartphone. Yeah, so I was, um, oh, and we'll get to what just happened and that you were not talking about in a second, but um, I was uh, searching for something on my computer and then in my Dropbox, I found a picture of, do you remember that slide on an old Apple keynote that was the digital hub strategy? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, again, I know everybody always makes the example that the iPhone replaced everything, but it was, it's it's really funny to um, to look at that. And if you go to Google image search and then search digital hub, I like that there's uh, one like a 1998 Magnavox DVD player, a Palm, uh, a Palm Five, a separate video camera, digital camera, and a um, and a Walkman. It's all pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I maybe that also that observancy or that observantness also uh, translates into a picture you sent me earlier that I am going to um, uh, quote put you on blast for. I think mm. or I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, what is <laughs> uh, you have. A temporary office, which is in your fancy pants new kitchen. Yes. Um, but I'm curious about one thing, which is, and I can't tell if it's that you're afraid of scuffing up your countertops or you're trying to eliminate vibrations, but um, maybe you can try to find a way to crop this and make sure there's no location data. But I think people need to see this. You have your uh, microphone stand on a stack of paper towels. Right. Um, I'm curious about this. Yeah. Um <clears throat> So with this new kitchen, I'm I'm still sort of learning how it works, if you will. And I guess one of one of the key things is I still need to better understand sort of what is safe to have on our new quartz countertops versus what's not. Um, Does your stand not have little rubber feet? It's oh, let me let me pick it up here. It's it's got. And I guess it does have like little rubber feet. So it's it's probably fine, but I'd be I'm more nervous about your US, your probably uh, off brand USB hub <laughs> scratching up. <laughs> I was very careful when I put when I put that down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I am. I'm currently coming from my, I would say, ninety seven percent completed kitchen, mm-hmm. which which is exciting. Um, which has a very noisy something in the background. Well, so I'm I'm standing at our new kitchen island doing the show for uh, two reasons. One is because I still haven't set up my two auxiliary uh, Google Home routers because is that as part called? of uh, uh, I think I. It's just like Google Home Wi-Fi or something. Google Wi-Fi. Huh. Okay. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, as part of everything we've been doing with the house, they had to reroute the Ethernet cables that I ran a year and a half ago. And 
I still haven't gotten around to going through the painful task of um, redoing the ends of those cables just because it's it's a painful process and I'm going to save that for the weekend. And so anyway, Wi-Fi doesn't reach all the way back into the office when I only have the, the one router in the family room. Um, but then the second reason, which relates to the sound that you're hearing and the listeners may or may not hear, depending on how the editing goes <laughs> for this episode, um, but I'm running our dishwasher for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm closely monitoring it <laughs> to ensure that we don't end up with a bunch of water or something. So does the dishwasher tell your LG ThinQ fridge what temperature is outside, or is that a different appliance? Well, so ironically, the only two things in the kitchen that connect to Wi-Fi are the refrigerator and the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. And I think we've gotten into this a little bit, but um, for all the love that I have of smart home gadgets, which I assume that both you and the listeners have well understand at this point, even I would admit that having smart kitchen appliances doesn't really seem like the most useful thing. And it just seems like something that's inevitably going to be out of date, you know, six months after buying it. And it's something that you, you know, hope to have for like a decade plus. So, um, but with like refrigerators, you really do have to like go out of your way to not buy one that's got one of those like big ass. 12 inch android tablets stuck in one of the doors so <laughs> sorry continue um so we 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 had to settle on a fridge that only connected to wi-fi which like literally it's hard to find a fridge that doesn't do that um and then our dishwasher came free with our range so we didn't really pick it out and it just so happens to also connect to wi-fi for reasons i guess two quick things one i think those uh samsung refrigerators that are all probably going to be exploited because they have out-of-date android running on them um <laughs> i think they have i think you may have uh under under ballparked the uh screen size um yeah because it seems like they're much larger than 12 inches um and also you mentioned that you have to connect these things to wi-fi you do not have to i really don't think you do i think you could actually have left that un unconnected but i think you were excited to use the app that comes with your fridge and you just don't entirely want to admit it well that's definitely part of it um the refrigerator specifically though um just uses the same app that i already had set up for the washer and dryer uh the dishwasher which requires a separate app and a separate setup process i have not i have not gone through that so, oh, so the, the dishwasher is not an lg product it's not no Oh, well, neat. Yeah, uh, so I guess still still more to come with the kitchen. Still not, like, officially moved back into the house, but um, just wanted to do some uh, housekeeping things this evening. Um, and, you know, podcasting podcasting in my own home is just a little bit easier, so. Sure, and you get, and you get the echoes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, good times. Um, what else we got? Um, I think that's mostly it. Um, okay. Uh, get back to Google Docs. Okay. 
So a couple of quick follow-up stories that we don't have a ton of time to spend on. Um, uh, you'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, people will remember maybe three weeks ago, there was a huge, huge controversy based off of some dubious and maybe um, uh, um, interestingly sourced or maybe motive, the motives of people participating were kind of maybe not um, fully uh, thought through. Uh, reporting from The Verge, where there was this whole thing about the toxic work culture of the away travel company. And then <clears throat> after the whole 48-hour Twitter mob thing, um, there was an accelerated timeline where uh, somebody who formerly worked, I think, as like COO of Lululemon or something, uh, <clears throat> was on an accelerated timetable to move to away and ended up replacing Steph Corey, one of the uh, who was the CEO at the time. And now uh, there's a story where, um, and I'm surprised this didn't get much play. I don't think it was on tech meme at all. Uh, so on Monday morning, uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin in the New York Times uh, wrote that uh, she is back in the CEO role. She's going to be co-CEO. Um, and then what was, you highlighted this in Slack where, um, was it Twitter mob? Yeah. Uh, the quote, the members of Away's board say they fell, uh, they fell as they feel as if they fell victim to management by Twitter mob, which kind of feels like the story for the past, like two to three years with a lot of stuff where a very small number of people are able to exercise a certain level of, um, outsized influence on a story that maybe doesn't necessarily, um, match the actual reporting or event. Yeah, I th I think that's part of what's happening here, but I still maintain what I said last time we talked about this on the show, which is we definitely don't have the full story as to what really happened and maybe never will, maybe will after enough time has passed, but um we're clearly only working with a, a subset of the information here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because Away isn't, they haven't announced any plans for an IPO or anything yet, have they? God, it's getting hard to keep track of. Like all of a sudden, Casper's S1 came out and I was like, wait, what? Every DTC company is basically just running for, <laughs> is trying before all the money dries up and people right. realize it's going to be an Uber Lyft situation. They're all just running for... Um, whatever direct listing they can do. Yeah, exactly. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, this this was a weird story. And, and again, we talked about it at the time. And I feel like even though the, it seems like a lot of this was like bad management and maybe oh, like an overly aggressive micromanager that and it's a story where it probably wouldn't have gotten the level of scrutiny it did had it been a male CEO. But anyway, um, I, I find this super interesting where, where she or maybe people around her or the board were like, no, like I'm not going to walk away from my company because of of this, and I, and I I think that's great. Yeah, I know, and you don't have to take a <clears throat> take a stance here, but yeah, I don't think one one article based off of like semi anonymous chat logs should force you out of the company you founded and is actually one of the few like sustainable um, direct consumer companies. I don't know that just, that just felt super weird. Yeah, I mean on on Twitter there and I guess just sort of in the just the general media sphere that we're in there's definitely a rush to judgment often with stories. And sometimes that's justified, but I think in a case like this because we're working with 
you know, not only incomplete information, but sort of like, as you bring up too, like, even with the facts that we know, it, it's, it's sort of hard to say exactly what to, what to make of them. Um, I, yeah, I'm, because of that, I'm not really sure it's fair to just immediately assume the worst here, but especially when you're talking about a Silicon Valley startup, I think there's a, an appetite, you know, probably for some justifiable reasons by the public to, to kind of assume the worst. Yeah. So people should go, go read that article. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's a feel good story of the year. Um, <laughs> so related to that, I'm actually going to push this forward from, I don't know. I'm actually not sure why we have, I, I put this in a uh, not follow up because actually this was this week. Uh, Kevin Roos, another New York times person, uh, this, because this goes on the same, uh, direct consumer parallel and, uh, from a Casper's S one, there's this good little pull chart up here that just kind of shows their balance sheet. Actually, wait, this is a balance sheet, right? It's not yeah, an income statement. In- income statement. Yeah. It's one of the two. It's always one of the two. <laughs> Actually, it's one of the three. Um, so the summary basically is they, they're buying a mattress. And this is the part I actually don't know if they're just base, basically buying white label mattresses or... For the, for the purposes of this analysis, it doesn't really matter. It's the, 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 cost, the, the cost of the mattress, whether they're manufacturing it directly or buying it through a third party... It doesn't doesn't really change the story here. Yeah, but basically the deal is uh, buying a mattress or cost gets sold is on it is four hundred dollars. You're selling it for a grand. Twenty uh, percent of them are getting returned. You're netting four hundred bucks, and then you're spending two hundred ninety dollars on marketing and podcast ads. I really had wished they just wrote podcast ads on it, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, Bart ads and podcast ads, and uh, two hundred seventy dollars on SGNA and stuff, and then uh, lose one hundred sixty dollars, rinse and repeat. So I thought that was pretty good. So I, the thing that I'm shocked by with this tweet, which will be in the notes, is the 20% return rate. I feel like that's low. See, to me, that's much higher than I would have guessed, sort of for two reasons. One is I think the reason that you didn't return yours, which is just, it's kind of an inconvenience. Um, And two it kind of seems like with the policy that they've put in place, which I think is like, what, 100 nights or something like that, I would kind of assume that a company would only put that in place if they had confidence that the return rate would be relatively low. But as it turns out, that's not the case. And the reason it's that generous is just because if they're going to end up losing money, who cares? I'm happy 20% of people are realizing that it's a crappy mattress. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, really uncomfortable. Um, yeah, so this is this is just so, so interesting. Um, well, but isn't like this one, this one tweet, like this one little blurb from Casper's income statement, it's, it's so indicative. Well, no, it's of... the entire company that like the company, it's not, that's where the whole thing with direct to consumer companies is like, oh yeah, it's, it's kind of like how everyone got taken on, taken in on WeWork being like an operating system for life. Like, it's just like, no, actually you do a really simple thing that could be broken down into an Excel sheet. That's like 14 rows. Well, and then and then at the at the end of that Excel spreadsheet, you is, end up with parentheses, a number of parentheses. <laughs> yeah, it's mass massive, you know, losses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the the more you sell, the more you lose. <laughs> it's just you make it up in volume. <laughs> yeah. All right, I think that's been a potential show title for like eight episodes. It might stick this time. <laughs> um. 
so yeah, so I thought that was super interesting. You'll put a link to that tweet. Um, oh, and then, yeah, sorry, the whole point of uh, oh, Kevin Roos's uh, value add here was Casper is a very inefficient wealth transfer from, uh, from VCs to prestige podcast makers, and I am here for it. Pretty good. <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, going back to follow up, uh, LeBron James, geez. Uh, he, so I didn't actually read the article. I just read the headline, but basically a GM is going to revive the Hummer brand and use it for electrical, electric vehicles. So that's already ridiculous. Um, and LeBron James is going to be the celebrity spokesperson and astute listeners will remember from last week where we talked about LeBron James being the, um, uh, the brand icon for both beats and also the Calm app. So once you've gotten yourself amped up for a game, you've played your game and lost because it's the Lakers, you then go use your meditation app, Calm, to uh, 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 to uh, center yourself, and then you drive away in your Hummer, I think is the LeBron James plan. <laughs> what do you think What do you think the um, range of an electric Hummer is going to be? Um, Probably, I don't know, one and a half times what a Cybertruck is which is basically the ratio of unicorns to leprechauns or whatever the uh, Stanley thing from the office was. That's pretty good. Yeah. Shroot bucks. Um, so yeah, that's silly. God, I, I going back to, and we're going to talk about the, uh, the decade that just passed. I totally forgot uh, uh, how bad the mid two thousands were with um, the Hummer H two. That was a really, it was, one, it was a very popular vehicle in orange County but also it's it was just it's just kind of the the um distillation of uh gross excess yeah yeah but it it does it does sort of make a lot of sense that it's coming back just given kind of the resurgence of SUVs in general well yeah and nothing means anything anymore where i i i may, i i'm so intrigued that gm thinks the hummer brand has that much cachet in the same way that um i was listening to an interview with um whatever the CEO of Ford is about their um, repurposing of the Mustang brand for their big EV endeavor. Like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe it's just a, a, like a coastal elite thing where I just, maybe I don't think either of those brands have that level of cachet. All right. Um, <clears throat> uh, oh, you, you actually, I think you were more um, angry or kind of centered on this when CES was happening. But you, uh, the bee in your bonnet has been that um, uh, there's so much stuff that it one is announced in CES that'll never actually ship. But also, like, there's this kind of like weird, like, a uh, parallel award circuit that awards um, products that will never see the light of day. And I think you and um, friend of the show, John Gruber, also kind of tag this as being uh, ridiculous. Well, the the main issue that I have is that. The show is not framed as, hey, here are a bunch of just high-level concepts. Like, it's literally called the consumer electronic show, meaning that, hey, here is what's coming out next in consumer electronics. Like, the whole premise of the show is the here are actual consumer products that we want to show you for the first time. And... It just feels like with every single announcement that you see in CES, you have to like take a step back and be like, wait, is that a real product or not? And often it's not clear. And I feel like sometimes it's intentionally obscured. And so you end up with a bunch of like cheap headline grabs for something that's never going to see the the light of day. And I just that 
that just it, it just it just irks me. It wouldn't bother me at all if there was just more transparency. But without that sort of transparency, I just don't I just don't even understand what the purpose of CES is or or sort of what the purpose of big shows like that are, which maybe we'll get into more with the whole Sony E3 thing. Yeah, but didn't you see that LG transparent TV? <laughs> pretty good um so but two, two points on that one maybe the consumer electronics show maybe you're thinking about it wrong maybe the consumer is tech journalists well it, mm, i mean that's i would say that's another another bee in my bonnet when it comes to these shows is there's such an echo chamber where the people who are there it's like the most important thing in the world but i really really question especially ces the utility of that show and what bearing, if any, it has on literally anybody who's outside of Las Vegas the second week in January. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot what my second point was, so let's move on. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so that's it's. Oh, that's that was that was my point. Is that? Oh, yeah, the the Sony EV is totally gonna ship. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's fine. Um. And then lastly, for follow-up slash out, eh, I'm not sure how much traction we're going to get out of this, but there, there was an Ask Upgrade question that was kind of interesting. And uh, I don't know, people, maybe people should think, one, go listen to episode, uh, let's guess, 342 of Upgrade? I don't know. Uh, where somebody asked, uh, do you use the uh, modifier keys on the left or right side of your keyboard? And uh, had never considered it. But yeah, I think it was kind of the consensus take, which is, uh, all the fun and interesting uh, shortcut keys that uh, happen on the left. So it's mostly the left, but sometimes the right. It's upgrade number 280. It'll be in the notes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it, you use the left side. I mean, I'm not even really sure why the, those same keys are on the right side of the keyboard. You use them on the left. If you're opening a document, you know what? You don't use Command-O on the, on the right side? Um, you know what? Can I, can I? Is this a safe space? Can I be honest? Safe space. <laughs> uh, yes, please. I, I've never been someone who gets real deep in on keyboard shortcuts, with with the exception of Excel. Excel, I'll, I I know my fair share of shortcuts, but like general OS shortcuts, or even in apps that I use a lot, like Chrome or Tweetbot or something like, I just I just don't ever bother to learn a lot of keyboard shortcuts. That's okay. That's interesting, and, and there's no 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 shame. But um, so oh, I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna put you on the spot and ask you about a couple of them. How do you close a tab in Chrome? You just you go up to the the tab and you click you click the X. <laughs> oh no! Um, like I said, I really don't I really don't use a lot of keyboard shortcuts outside of outside of spreadsheets. Well, wow. How? Oh, command W. I, for I life. asked if this was. A, I asked if this it is was a safe space. space. I'm not. I'm not judging. I'm just concerned. <laughs> uh, you're, you're not mad. You're just disappointed. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like that's also probably another one of those like perpetual show titles we have. <laughs> Basically. Um, oh dear. I mean, and I think we alternate weeks. Just. Uh, which yeah. as uh you know given that I'm about to become a parent here I guess I should also probably you know master the use of that phrase. Oh, I thought you were going to teach your kid how to use shortcuts. <laughs> I I'll go. No, my my kids are going to be teaching me how to use shortcuts. 
<laughs> I'll go. I'll go buy your kid a um a Bridge Pro Plus keyboard and get them started early when they get their iOS oh. laptop. Oh my god, what's what's a computer? <laughs> oh fuck. Um. So, but <clears throat> I'm not gonna leave this topic because I'm still really upset. Um. So yeah, Command W, man. So can I ask, are you not a? Because I think I've, I try to indoctrinate everybody I meet. Are you not a Command H person? Uh, for in what everything. It does every. It does one thing system wide. Command. So if I hit Command H now, what's it going to do? It. What did it do? Just close my current window. It hides an application, so that way you don't like. If you have like a bunch of apps open, you can just say, "Nope, I'm done with Chrome for a minute." But I'm not alt tabbing a whole bunch between stuff. I can kind of keep a semi reasonably um, coherent workspace by hiding applications you don't need at the moment. I thought I needed to buy John Syracuse's app for that. Eh, whatever floats the boat. I actually, I actually, that whole app, I don't... That doesn't make sense to me. That behavior feels wrong. But again, I wasn't... Um, I don't know. I wasn't a huge classic Mac user in the same way that he was. I, I listened to that whole, like, 20, 25-minute segment on ATP. Does? Well, I, I feel like... So I read his most of his blog post, and I, I felt like I sort of understood what it did. Um, and then he started talking about it on ATP, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I think I follow here. But then it was like the more he talked about it, like the more confused I got. Basically, in two sentences, back in uh, OS 9 and before, uh, previously mentioned as Mac OS Classic, uh, if you clicked, let's say you had like two Excel windows open and two Internet Explorer windows open, because again, this is OS 9. If you clicked on one of the two Excel windows, it would bring both Excel windows forward, where on OS X, they kind of made it act more like Windows, where if you click on a window, it doesn't necessarily bring the entire app forward. And he apparently doesn't like that. Got it. <clears throat> yeah, so we have we have to get you on keyboard shortcuts. Um, the, the one thing I would say is that um, as you once you get to move back into your house and you start working in Lightroom a bunch... You're going to have to learn some keyboard shortcuts. I I have to learn a lot in Lightroom. I started messing around in there the other evening and was like, I've used it before, so it's not completely foreign to me, but that was seven, eight years ago, and I you know never really got that great at it. So yeah, still, still lots to learn on that front. Yeah. And if anybody takes anything away from the past 180 episodes of the show, Command H. Command H, Command W, Command Tab. You'll live a happy life. Got got more uh, more mileage out of that topic than I thought we would. Yeah, because you, you gave a shameful confession. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, in terms of stuff we uh, maybe have to go back to from prior weeks that we didn't talk about, uh, you would know more about this, way more than about this than I do. Uh, remember when uh, I went I went to the store and then somebody said that Elon promised full self-driving by the end of the year? How's that going? Uh, you know, the, the end of the year has come and gone, and we still don't have self-driving. Or, well, we sort of do in a uh, sneak preview format, and there's there's... Literally not big enough air quotes to put that in. But like functionally, what does that even mean in terms of a car? Well, okay. So th there has to be, so there's a little bit of, um, well, actually, well, we can talk about the feature first, but then I think there's a little bit of background, which, which to me is the more interesting slash confusing part. So what they did is they put out a software update uh, at, like the, around the last week of December where 
the display now, in addition to showing uh, lane lines like like it always has, it's now starting to show when it sees stop signs, and it's also showing traffic lights, and it'll actually show the color of the traffic light that it sees. So when it you know when it flips from red to green, that will also be reflected on your display. So. I guess basically what Tesla is saying here is like, here's visual evidence that, you know, your car is kind of doing everything it would need to do in order to drive itself, even on city streets, which is, you know, city streets are kind of like (laughs) the big missing piece here. Well, that doesn't sound like enough. It sounds like there's a lot more to driving than that. Well, uh, totally. Yeah. Um, Does it do stop signs? Yeah. Stop signs and traffic lights. Okay. So that's that's kind of like the, because the way so the way that um tesla is framing the current state of self-driving which this statement that i'm about to make is also hugely problematic but they basically have said that you know you can basically break driving into sort of like almost three segments you've got getting getting into your car driving your car on you know, city streets and driving your car on the freeway. And they claim that between smart summon and between um, navigate on autopilot that they've solved the getting in and out of your car automatically and driving on the highway automatically. I would heavily dispute that statement, but that's just (laughs) what Tesla is asserting. So now they're saying kind of the last big missing piece is the ability to drive on city streets. And so they're saying that by visually showing that, hey, your car is starting to see more and more stuff on city streets, we're proving to you that we're, you know, getting closer to being able to then respond to stop signs and uh, traffic lights and all that stuff. Yeah, that's not that's not what was promised. Well, <laughs> totally not. Um and then there's there's another wrinkle to all of this too, which is, um, you know, they're they're showing these the traffic lights and stop signs on customers' displays, even if they don't have full self driving capability, kind of as a way of almost kind of like enticing people to upgrade to it. Even though <laughs> I don't know why that would, but I guess that's what Tesla's trying here. Um, but the wrinkle is like, my car doesn't do this. So my car got this update because it didn't include some other things too. But my car does not display stop signs and traffic lights because in order to do so, your car needs version three of their um, autopilot hardware or the kind of their um, the chip that powers autopilot. Uh, they, I think they had been previously using some NVIDIA chip, and then now they've built something in-house. And starting with Tesla cars built, I think it was like March of last year on, those cars started shipping uh, with that new chip. And then if you had bought the full self-driving package on a car that was made before that, so if, if like I had bought the full self-driving package I could go into a Tesla dealership and um, have them upgrade my autopilot hardware from version two to version three. But I guess the point here is like everything about autopilot from the messaging 
to the software and now all the way down to the hardware is just so confusing. And I just, it just feels like the further we get down the road with Tesla making, you know, supposed improvements to autopilot, like the more convoluted the story gets. Yeah, I thought they would have had more to show for it because, like, it feels like they um, generally don't mind pushing out features that are way too early, kind of when everybody was trying out the smart summon and it would crash into stuff. Like, I don't know, it feels like that that's not because that doesn't make a convincing case for that's all that there is to self driving. Like, because most, like, I mean, hell, like my 2014 BMW could read, um, like, traffic, uh, it could read, like, uh, speed signs and a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's not really that convincing that it's almost there. And I don't know, like, hmm. I'm interested to see, have they given any updates or timetables for when they feel they're actually going to roll it out? Like, cause I know they don't want to backtrack the entire way, but have they suggested when the next release is or what's happening after this? So Elon is always out there on Twitter, just randomly responding to people who ask him questions there. Mm-hmm. And... I think it was sometime this week, like on Monday or Tuesday of this week, someone asked him like, hey, so, you know, you had said that some feature complete version of self-driving was going to roll out to people who are in the early access program, which is what it sounds like. It's people who have signed up and who who get access to Tesla software before it's rolled out to the wider fleet. Um, And he said that that would be happening soon. Yeah, that has, that has no what? specificity at all. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it's 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 a total mess, um, and it just uh, Tesla. It's just I'm I'm very very happy with with my Model Three like as a car, but I I just have to say everything around the whole culture around owning a Tesla. Like with people volunteering to help deliver cars at the end of the year, there were some stories floating around about that. And then people buying this self-driving package without any assurances that of like when it'll ship, if it'll ever even ship. It's just, it's just very strange to me. Yeah. We, we've talked about the Tesla owners of Silicon Valley Twitter account, right? In the past. We have, and I think you showed that to me, and I got very upset. It's very bad, but yes, yeah. Tesla owner culture is is is, um, it's challenging. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, and before we round out follow up, uh, I feel like this has come up a couple times on the show, but uh, there was an update to the uh, Chase Reserve card where they're jacking up the annual fee by a hundred dollars to five hundred and fifty bucks. Um, and that seems to be the uh, millennial credit card du jour. So um, there's an article on the points guide that people should go read if they have any interest in that. But also they should mostly read about they should mostly read it because it has a bunch of <clears throat> pull quotes from Catherine Hogan at uh, president of Chase Branded Cards, uh, where there are a bunch of non answers to a lot of uh, relevant questions, uh, such as will there be any, be any increase to the annual travel credit? We know our card members love the flexibility and ease of the $300 travel credit, and they will continue to enjoy this. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of uh, um, uh, stuff people should go look at with this. And also, I do find it kind of interesting where, because Apple Card, don't isn't there some kind of like you get 3% back on Uber or something? 
Yeah, they've they've been having these like random bonus categories that'll that'll be for like some short period of time or something. And I I think Uber was at one point. I don't know if it still is. Like I know that uh, in the month of December, it was like you could get six percent back on apple purchases stuff like that wasn't that the whole point of the apple card that it was like we're not going to do the whole opt-in rewards shell game that everybody else says well it's not um i don't think it was opt-in i think i think you just you just got it or but like but like no rotating rewards categories like chase always has like their oh five percent back at home improvement stores this month or something like that no I i think their whole position around rewards was that you you wouldn't accumulate points you would just instantly get cash back on a daily basis i think that was kind of the way that they were separating themselves i could have sworn they had like a three two one thing like where it's like three percent back on apple two percent back on nfc one percent back on regular card but <clears throat> anyway to round this out the whole the one thing i did find interesting is that um chase is partnering with lyft on this whereas the most a close competitor to the reserve card the amex platinum uh partners with uber so it's kind of picking you up picking which uh whether you want to be part of the um the resistance or the the force close <laughs> close sort of which which one which was right or which 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 one of those two was real if you would have said the resistance or the first order i think that would have been more of what you were going for let's do that magic of editing yep <clears throat> Anyway, oh, and, and and unfortunately, the Chase card is partnering with DoorDash. Gross. All right. Uh, do you want to do, we've been pushing this off for like three weeks. Do you want to uh, do a quick decade interview? Sure, let's do it. Okay. So uh, I prepared a quick, uh, I, I thought I was just thinking about this, and unfortunately, I did not um, uh, remember to send this to you to get to have, to give you time to consider it. So unfortunately, <laughs> you're going to have to give the hottest of hot takes. Mm, okay, okay. Like what did, what did we think the 2010s uh, would be and what were they really? Uh, and then kind of what do we think is uh, going to be important going forward? So what I came up with for the 2010s was uh, basically the decade began with uh, LeBron heading to Miami, an iPhone four being left in a bar and a charismatic first term president. And then 10 years later, we have $2,000 stationary bikes a juice press with DRM and a reality TV president. So it was kind of a shitty decade. <laughs> um, is this, or is this a bad take? Uh, it's not a bad take. No. Um, and also I forgot it was 10 years ago that uh, ESPN wasted two hours of everybody's time for uh, LeBron to say he's going to Miami. Mm-hmm, the decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why uh, ESPN is no longer the future of Disney. Um. <clears throat> yeah, well, it wasn't that great of a decade. So, what do, like for you? What do you maybe? What what were what was the promise of it? What what ended up being not great about it? Kind of how how do we? Because we all started that time like it, it was the Obama era, and it was uh, big tech could do no wrong, and there's an app for that and all that kind of stuff. Like why? How how where where did things go wrong, and what was what was the problem? That's that's what I was going to get into. Was I would think one of the biggest tech-related takeaways for me from the decade is you entered the decade continuing to think that social media could basically do no wrong, that it would bring people all across the globe together, that it would help distribute information, you know, people being informed is a good thing. Um, It's, you know, it, it ensures that 
almost no matter where you're from, as long as you have an internet connection, you can get online, communicate with people, see the news. And, you know, I would be the first to admit that where we ended the decade with social media is not something that I ever considered. Like the idea that they could become platforms to spread misinformation. Um, and of course, having a president who's heavily involved in the spread of that misinformation is also not something we would have predicted in 2010. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's been a, a top line takeaway from me. Um, on, I guess a, a lighter note, but still, I guess, sticking with maybe the negative trends from the decade. Yeah. 2010 was the release of the original iPad, right? Mm -hmm. And that, by you know by apple and by i think some enthusiastic ipad followers was kind of hailed as like the big next computing device and like where everything was going to be going from like a personal computer standpoint and that's just that's just not been the case i mean of course there are avid ipad users we we sort of (laughs) we poke fun at them here on the show um but i you know here now in 2020 I don't think the iPad is has made any progress towards becoming a viable replacement for a traditional laptop. And I, I am a little surprised by that. Like I it wasn't like in twenty ten that I'd look at my MacBook Pro and be like, Well, I'm gonna throw this thing away in three years and replace it with an iPad. But I at least thought it would get closer. And I don't feel like it has. Can I interrupt for a sec, interject for a sec? With this, with this one, I actually think the iPad is a very interesting case because I always think that um, Apple and the people that are most passionate about the product are very adamant about what they think it should be. And Apple has long since, or it's been kind of the impression that I get, is that they are tired of the Mac and want the iPad to replace it because they just feel like it's that much simpler to have kind of a one OS solution. But... I think the iPad has actually been fairly successful, just not at what Apple wants it to be. Like when the iPad came out, did you really think that it was going to be like the point of sale system at like basically every non-huge corporation? Like I don't think, like I think there's a lot of use cases for the iPad that were maybe edge cases that Apple and uh, software developers were kind of okay to let happen. And they're like, oh yeah, that can come along for the ride. But every time there's been an attempt to make it be a computer replacement, it just falls down on its face just because they, they they aren't thinking through what the form factor actually is. So I think, yes, so, so I think it goes both ways, where the iPad has been more success, uh, successful and less successful than people wanted it to be or thought it would be. That's fair. Um, I think another big takeaway for me from the decade on on a more positive note is cellular connectivity and specifically cellular data um you know i have vivid memories of buying your original iphone and running that on um an edge network in i guess that would be like 2009 when i was doing that um and just like what a dramatic difference there was between being on wi-fi versus being on edge and then even with the iPhone 3GS, which is what I next upgraded to and kind of got my <clears throat> first taste of 3G, that was definitely a, a huge improvement. But it was still the case where, you know, 
you wanted to take advantage of the times that you were on Wi-Fi because you knew that your cellular data was not going to be nearly as fast or as reliable. And I feel like now in 2020 with, you know, LTE and then obviously going forward with like 5G, um, I mean, cellular data is pretty great. Like for the most part, when I'm using my iPhone, except in some, you know, very specific cases, like maybe around streaming video and things like that, for the most part, like there really isn't a huge difference in user experience between being on Wi-Fi versus being on cellular data. And that's a, that's a huge, huge change for the better. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's accurate. I, I think, um, people have been like, they, people always love to complain about cell carriers. And I feel like the, um, rapid deployment of, even with a bunch of, uh, dumb, uh, what was it called? Unforced errors on AT&T's part, especially with their marketing department, where they're always trying to pretend their network is something that isn't. <clears throat> Basically, every carrier except Sprint has done a really good job of deploying 4G uh, in both dense areas and uh, less populated areas where to the point uh, where, yeah, you're right, where like it's basically as good as <clears throat> uh, traditional like home broadband for almost everybody. And that's, and I know it's probably um, a privileged thing to say where if you live in a super remote or rural area, that might not be the case. But I think, it, yeah, it's compared to where we were 10 years ago, that that's a gigantic change. <clears throat> yeah, it's a good call out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, just in terms of negative stuff, like I, th- I, th- I really think that like, um, yeah, the unchecked, uh, like wide eyed optimism we had for like just more people being connected and more communication happening was always going to be a net positive seems like maybe something that we all should have seen is that we're just empowering people who maybe uh hate the same stuff to uh align themselves really really easily and for yeah like you said misinformation to spread and all that kind of stuff so yeah i i i really feel like if you had if they had involved like certain like i don't know like researchers people or just people who kind of understand how humanity works uh, versus just how do we scale technology, then maybe some of that stuff could have been uh, foreseen. But that's the kind of diligence and um, planning that maybe is not compatible with the uh, like 10x Silicon Valley mentality. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So, and then uh, kind of what do you think is maybe going to be maybe a couple of themes going forward? And then we'll, we'll wrap this up for the, for the Roaring Twenties. I think I'm, I'm curious about two things related to, uh, I guess you'd put these both under like the telecommunications umbrella. Um, one is sort of 5G and then sort of whatever comes next after 5G, 6G. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what creative uh, marketing name AT&T is going to have. Um, like, is that truly going to be a replacement for having a home wired internet connection? And I think with some people that might be the case, but I think the question is going to be like, how prevalent does something like that become? Um, and then the other big thing is the consolidation of media that we saw this decade. Um, you know, kind of being capped off with Disney buying Fox, but then of course having things like, um, 
Comcast buying NBC. Um, that I think that that's going to have long term impacts. Um, it, it, with a lot of things that we've talked about on the show, including the fact that you know, like the situation that we're in, where Comcast is our only high speed internet provider, like. Yeah, it's kind of like maybe a neat idea to think about like canceling your traditional cable TV, but then if you want to just stream everything, you're giving the exact same company the same money, and so what they get to do is raise your internet rates because you're no longer, you know, bundling that in with your cable subscription, and then they're tossing data caps on top of that, so they're going to get more money out of you that way. Um I just think there's going to be long, long-term impacts around um, the consolidation that we've seen around media companies and contract content distribution networks, and of course, you know, add to the fact that our current administration has, you know, eliminated net neutrality for the time being. Um, I think that's going to continue to to play out in some, maybe even unforeseen ways over the next ten years. Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, in 10 years, do you think, uh, Quibi is still around? Who? You're not joking, right? You just say Clippy, right? Mm. You're, you're doing a bit. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing a bit. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I heard exactly what you said. Quibi. Quibi? Yeah. Am, am, am I supposed to know what Quibi is? I'm not going crazy, right? Q-U-I-B-I. I don't think I, I don't think I know what that is. We're talking about st- streaming services and Quibi. It's it was it's been it's been talked about a ton this uh, the past couple of weeks. It's the future of streaming. Are you are you doing a bit? I'm not doing a bit. So <clears throat> who's the the DreamWorks guy? So Jeff uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and former HP CEO Meg Whitman are spending a billion and a half dollars to uh, make uh, Quibi, which is short for the portmanteau of Quick Bites. Which is kind of like if somebody basically saw the mistakes that Verizon made with Go ninety and said, "Let's let's do more of that." That's what this <laughs> is. Yeah, like I'm not going crazy, right? You you everybody's heard of Quibi, so it is. So do you think this is around in ten years? Let's take a hot, just hot take. And I would say not. No. Yeah, probably not. <clears throat> but yeah, going back to what you said. The whole, um, yeah, the media consolidation landscape and kind of like uh, streaming versus traditional cable subscriptions, like, yeah, that's been a a thing that we've talked about a lot on the show, and that seems like that makes a lot of sense. The one part that, and I've I've always, like, I mourn the loss of um, HBO as we know it now, because like two years, wait, when is HBO Max supposed to launch? Do you know? I think it's like April, May, something like that. Oh, geez, May 2020. Yeah. Like AT&T's whole thing of they're basically like, we're, you know, there's a lot of um, positive uh, sentiment around the HBO brand. Let's use that and basically turn it in and just shove everything into it. And we're going to try to make a Netflix competitor with less content, but we're also going to dilute what HBO actually was. Like that's, that's a super big bummer, but I kind of, even though I resent AT&T for buying HBO and ultimately probably ruining it, I get why they feel they have to. But I think so many companies are going to fail where they just don't have the scale <clears throat> and budget to just throw money at the problem like Disney does, like where Disney is able to grossly undervalue a lot of their IP in order to gain a foothold and then 
over the next four years double the cost of their OTT service. But kind of, I don't know, just the whole consolidation of both telecommunication provider and media creator, it's, it's, just, it's kind of this uneasy state right now, but I get why everybody thinks they need to do it. All right, well, that's it. Uh, we won't talk about it, but there is one thing I do want you to throw in the show notes. The Verge had a really good list of the 84 biggest uh, tech failures of the past decade, and that was super fun. That is in the notes. I don't think anybody remembers the Nexus Q, but I do. Oh, I do. I do. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Can you tell me what a Shurzy is? Because <laughs> I did not know about this until an Instagram ad telling me that Kaiser Permanente and Zoom were trying to give away a Shurzy. The combination of a shirt and a jersey. Um, this is a, a favorite of the Sharks when they, whenever they have a promotional giveaway. Shurzies are what they... They go to at least a couple times a year, if not more. Um, they're basically, you know, they're, they're, they look like a jersey, like at first glance, but they're, you know, usually made of, you know, less expensive material. I mean, like, you know, using a hockey jersey as an example, like if you buy like, you know, a, a player jersey from the team shop or something like, you know, that's easily $150 plus. And it's, I mean, that's, it's expensive, but it, it is also made of like good materials and um, it, it's like a well put together piece of clothing. But in a jersey is more just like kind of like a t-shirt type of feel. Um, but you, but in, but in kind of the shape and look of a, of a jersey. Is it as heavy as a, as... no, 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 no. It, it's kind of like the, the weight of a, of a t-shirt basically. Or of like a, of, of a long sleeve like light shirt i guess i like that shirzies.com has a uh if you go to shirzy.com slash about the title is so what the hell is a shirzy anyway (laughs) they know what people they know people are googling for yes um cool um oh i have some oh this this is this is actually a big follow-up uh can i talk about the uh usb charger that you thought you may have solved my uh travel charging white whale situation yes yes i want to hear about this <clears throat> i am sorry for all the coughing um but yeah it's not, it's not so much coughing as it is just throat clearing yeah yeah I don't, I don't think there's a logic filter for that i i people can deal with it um <laughs> or or you can just amp up the the dishwasher sounds and then try to to make it harmonize yeah the the dish running cycle is over you can't you can't blame that anymore i'm gonna just restart it the drought's over <laughs> um so yeah, so you can hopefully find the link to the thing because I don't have it. I'll go to Amazon.com. Um, so there were two things you posted. Uh, you, you forwarded two products over to me. One of which was from a uh, Sateki, which was it was announced at CES, and oddly, it was a product that you could actually buy. <laughs> very, very suspect. Hmm. What a concept. So you that sounds like Moses Luck. Uh, is a 108 watt uh, Pro USB C PD desktop charger. Uh, which seemed really interesting because I had complained uh, that I'd been trying for a long time to find one single charger that would allow me to, when I'm traveling, charge my 13-inch MacBook Pro, my camera, my um, uh, my USB-C uh, Google Pixel work phone, my iPhone, and an Apple Watch. And that had been incredibly hard. The closest thing I had found in the past was called the Anchor PD-1, which was... Not bad, but the problem with it was that 
it would only maximum output 30 watts of power to the MacBook Pro, which requires 60 to charge fully. So if you were doing anything on the computer that basically like had the processor not running at like its lowest clock speed, it would actually drain the battery while it was plugged in, which was not ideal, especially if you're trying to offload and um, like have Lightroom do a bunch of stuff from a like, bunch of 42 megapixel photos your laptop would die even while it's plugged in kind of a bummer so you had posted that sateki thing and then i think a couple days after that you also pointed out that there was a uh, i'm logged out of amazon an anchor product called do you have a link to it yeah so i I just put this in the notes this is the um anchor power 100 watt power port atom pd4 desktop charger so this when you posted this i was like this is it like and you even posted like is this not the white whale and i was like i think it might be so this is basically what i had already had except instead of having a max power output of 30 uh 30 watts on one of them it actually allegedly supported up to 90 watts out of one of them which means you could charge a 15 inch macbook pro um at full speed and i'm like this is amazing so thanks to Amazon one day shipping, I had it on my doorstep the next day and I had a, uh, a weekend of being terribly ill. So I had plenty of time to uh, do a bunch of tedious tests on these chargers. And I have come to report very sadly that uh, the white whale is still out there. Uh, this is not the right product for me. It's better, but it's not correct. So the deal is If you have this plugged in and you plug in a MacBook Pro to it, it will deliver 60 watts to the laptop and it will charge. If I plug in the laptop and my Sony camera to it, the output to the laptop drops to 43 watts, which means that, and as a test, just to kind of put it under load, just to see if, hey, if I'm traveling and I'm trying to do a bunch of photo stuff with it, how will it perform? I tried doing uh, like a handbrake, like movie encode, just like the processor would be like fully maxed out. Uh, The battery discharged while it was plugged in. So 43 watts is not enough to charge the computer. And the only way to get it to deliver the full 60 is to not have the camera plugged in. So it's an improvement, but it's still not what I need. So I'm... I'm confused then. So when it says that this is a 100-watt charger, like what does that really even mean? That means the total combined output of it is 100 watts. Mm. And that's the part that makes no sense. So if you go to the uh, Amazon product page, it shows a thing with like 100 watt, 87, 45, 30, 18, and 6, and 15, which is annoying because what I need it to do is consistently output 60 watts for the computer 15 watts for the camera and then it can output like it can slow charge my apple watch and my iphone who cares um but yeah that's a bummer but the thing is that sateki one is not currently available for order from amazon at the moment so i can't test that one out so i don't know if i'm going to keep it or not because it is better than the old one where basically as long as i don't choose to charge the camera at the same time where like if I'm going to like if I'm at a hotel <clears throat> and I'm if I want to like I can charge the camera overnight that doesn't that doesn't matter so if I'm doing work I can still use this to f- um charge the laptop at the appropriate speed but it's kind of annoying that you can't 
I, I can't just plug in the four items I need and have and have the laptop not discharge. So the search continues. It's weird because I'm looking through this Amazon page and like all over the page is, you know, 100 watts of total power. And it has this what Anchor calls intelligent power allocation, which is like supposed to seamlessly transfer that power based on need across the four ports. And it, it like it seems like it does that, but with limitations which are not made clear here. Yeah, and I need to write a review just because it's not that like I very rarely write reviews, but I feel like this is one of those things where had somebody written it for me, I would have known what was up. Right. And it's just kind of that sometimes like there's just a weird stuff. Like remember when we both got the Apple TV 4K and like only one out of four HDMI cables would let you do Dolby Vision? Mm-hmm. It's just like weird stuff like that where like unless somebody's tested it out and specifically says like, hey, this works with what you need it to. You're basically just going off of like weird tech specs where, yeah, of course it should do it, but it totally doesn't. Well, they they even have an image here that says that it can charge two laptops and two mobile devices at the same time. So that's the part that's a lie, and that's the part that's frustrating, because yes, you can, but not if you're using the laptop in any meaningful way. Right. Because like my laptop will charge even with that other one that only output 30 watts, which is half of what it needs. It'll just charge, uh, charge kind of slowly. And if you're doing anything that taxes the processor, it will consume more battery than is being delivered, which means your battery will go down. So yes, it'll do it, but only if the laptops aren't in use, which feels not like a lie, but just kind of not not how most people would use it. So I, I think I think I have that the same anchor charger that you have, like the one that you refer to as kind of your old one. Yeah. I think I, I think I have that same one. And I bought it, and it's it's pretty good for the most part, especially when I'm traveling. It's um, it's perfectly fine. But you know, as we've been out of our house for the last couple of months, um, my my technology setup has basically been like I've I've been out of town for two months, where I, I've <laughs> you know been been using all the stuff that I normally only use when I travel. I've been using it like more on a day in day out basis. And the the prime example of that's been that anchor charger. Um, And I definitely have noticed quite a few different situations with my laptop where when I'm, you know, working during the day trying to use that charger, it's like, I'll look up at my battery and it's, you know, it's gone down 10%. I'm like, what the hell? It's been plugged in this whole Mm -hmm. time. (laughs) Um, So I, I, I don't have quite the same, pull as you do uh just because like these last two months notwithstanding i i don't normally run into this issue a lot like i just i just use my you know stock laptop charger when i'm either in my office or at home um but um i do now have a a bit of an appreciation as to kind of what you originally warned me about um but also just like it's kind of a little bit of a sidebar thing, which is tangentially related. Like when did USB and kind of like specifically USB-C get so confusing with like power output and data transfer speeds? Like there was a good bit on um, ATP where Syracuse was explaining like various USB-C standards or whatever. Or like the the difference between like just USB C and Thunderbolt three, 
Can you explain what that is? No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, and it's just, I mean, maybe like as a, as a naive kid growing up, like I like I, I knew like the difference between like USB two two point one three, like that all. Like I, I could kind of follow that, and like the different types. So you had like you know the um, USB like printer cable thing that had kind of the the funky different end. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, man, USB C is so complicated today. It's crazy. It's 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 hard. It's it's weird because it's not necessarily USB C that's confusing. It's the fact that do you remember Mini DisplayPort? Yes, that also ended up being the same connector for the first generation of Thunderbolt, and I think that was the confusing part because the problem is so. USB-C, there's USB-C 3.0, 3.1, and I think 3.2 now, where just depending on the length of cable and gauge of cable, you can either get <clears throat> anywhere between 5 gigabits. And I think it's now, if you go for USB 3.2 super speed, and I know that saying that sounds really dumb, and it is, um, that can get you 20 gigs down. Um, but Thunderbolt 3... Which is when I told you to buy that cable for your camera, I told you to get a Thunderbolt three cable, even if it doesn't, your camera um, doesn't support it, because that's the one that has the highest um, wattage and highest potential throughput. Which I think for Thunderbolt three is forty gigabits per second. The confusion stems from the fact that they all have the same plug, and I always wonder would it actually be better if it had a different plug? And I'm not sure that it is, but the fact that you need to know that for thunderbolt to have the highest amount of throughput you need to make sure it's a certain type of cable that's three feet or less otherwise the bandwidth gets cut in half like stuff like that like it's it's difficult like to the point where i even have um like i have a tethering cable for my camera which is just like a really long 10 or 15 foot USB-C cable and in order for it to maintain 10 gigabit per second throughput at that length they have to remove all of the power uh, components of the USB cable. Like, it's all really confusing and difficult, but I'm not really sure of a better solution for it. Yeah, that, that's actually, that, that is an interesting perspective because it does kind of have to be one or the other, right? You've got this universal port that kind of behind the scenes has different standards, or you just literally have different ports, one for each standard, and like sort of what's what's better. And I, yeah, you're, you're probably right that having just the one port is better yeah the one egregious thing that i will say that is objectively bad and makes apple bad is that um you have an ipad pro right yes the usb cable the usb c to c cable that it comes with is usb 2 which is hot garbage oh that's funny i huh i didn't i didn't know that i i carry that cable uh in my backpack just as like a almost just like an emergency cable if, if my ipad's running low on battery so if you ever try to transfer data with it, very slow. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so still nothing. So if uh, I have it in my cart, so whenever the Sateki thing comes back in stock and is on Amazon Prime, I will probably, I'll instantly grab that and test it out. Again, I still don't know, maybe you can give me advice. I don't know if I should keep the the new Anchor one because again, it's better, but it doesn't necessarily solve my problem. So I guess is is would the end result be that in scenarios where your laptop's not getting in 
quite enough power, the battery will drain slower than it does with your current charger. Or I just unplug everything else from it, and it will deliver the full 60 that it needs. Mm. Because the thing is, I just don't want to carry another a, a separate laptop charger. Well, that's no, I know that's you know that that anchor charger that I have, your your old one. Like when I travel, that's that's the one and only charger I bring with me now. Um, so the idea of only having one charger, I think, is key. Um, I mean, I guess it it it, it depends on like how important is getting the full sixty watts to your laptop when nothing else is plugged in, like does that is that a material difference between only getting 30 yes because 30 even if nothing else is plugged in means it 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 will it will drain whereas 60 means i just can't plug other stuff in well then yeah i mean that that seems like a decent improvement yeah but 100 bucks yeah it's it's yeah man this stuff's expensive that's the thing where it's expensive yeah that's the other problem with the usb-c stuff if you get anything that's like legitimate one USB C is a minefield, especially with Amazon just letting anything into the store. Oh, yeah, and all just like all the Chinese drop shippers, where they all have like just funky names, and you 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 just have no idea what this actually is, um, and whether or not people were seeded free products to give good reviews. Um, it's it's just it's tricky. Uh, all right, I think we have one last thing. Um, and we got to. Uh, I wanted to hear about this. Got to got to make it a quick thing because yes. I. I Sonos. still actually have to leave my house. <laughs> Sonos. Sonos. Is that going to be a quick thing? I think it will be. Because uh, otherwise we're, we're going to forget to talk about it. So Sonos, Sonos is getting sued or is suing? Is suing. Google and Amazon. Right. For? Well, not yet officially suing Amazon because they didn't feel they had the legal resources to uh, go after both companies at the same time, which mm-hmm. is probably true. Uh, but so now they're suing Google and I think are like still exploring what their options are with Amazon. And yet Google Assistant and Amazon uh, Alexa is built into the Sonos one. Yes. Mm. 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 Yeah. So you could be, you throw a link in the, in the show notes for the, the Bloomberg article that you have in here from Brad Stone. But like this, this is really, really weird because basically they're alleging that they uh, are infringing on some of Sonos's patents in the other, like in in their own, like uh, Echo Family products and the Google Home Family products, I guess. But like, I guess if the Google the Sonos Play One came out well after any of the Echoes and most of the Google Home products, so. Why would you choose to integrate their technologies and their voice assistants into your product if you feel those two companies were infringing on key patents of yours? That's the part that rings not true to me. And wasn't there also like a second wrinkle to the story, which was Sonos products sold at Apple retail stores now no longer have like the echo stuff built into them is there a question in there yeah is that true yes that's true yeah so like it, just all of it seems so weird i don't know like it it is maybe like is sonos because sonos is a public company now right yes like do they just have like a really bad quarter where now they're trying to have to do like a blackberry thing or a tivo thing where they feel like their only avenue for revenue growth is um 
just patent litigation. Like it just seems like why why would you have gone all in on making the Sonos Play One, hyping up your partnerships with these other companies, and then just turn around and sue them eighteen months later? Yeah, that does that does kind of seem seem to be at least part of the story here. Yeah, so we'll see. But um, yeah, super interesting story, and people should go read that. And the, I guess the to, to kind of make it uh, personal, which you know sometimes we like to do here on the show. Um, you know, as a household which is now heavily invested in the Sonos ecosystem, specifically Sonos devices with the Lady in a Can integration. Um, and this is a household that specifically bought those products because of the lady in a can integration. If that gets removed from those devices, I'm going to be very, very upset. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's actually a good reminder where I totally forgot about the Sonos beam. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's part of the, part of the setup here. Yeah. Another little, uh, personal sidebar here, Mm -hmm. which is very tangentially related i um bought the uh lady friend's parents um a lady in a can over for christmas an echo a first party lady in a can or a, a fir- first party yeah okay. uh, jeff bezos branded speaker mm, it's got his face on it and everything <laughs> right um like the second generation third generation whatever the latest generation is of the echo the one that's like the standard kind of short one, but not not the dot. Exactly. Yep. Man, the, the Echo's gotten really good. Like, I, I, it 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 sounds just as good as my Sonos One. I think. Um, I I'd, I'd have to put them like side by side, I guess, to have it be like a really fair comparison. But, um, and the, the, I guess the Sonos probably still does sound a little bit better. But but man, that Echo is is pretty darn good did you get the echo plus or the echo like the no not not the one that's got the built-in um like smart home hub and that stuff no just just the the standard standard echo and then i bought bought one of the um amazon smart plugs just as kind of like a little first taste of the smart home thing yeah first 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 uh first hits free that's right well very good all right Chef special time? Uh yeah, let's do it. All right. What you got? Um I don't I don't really this isn't like really a firm pick yet because I haven't done enough with it, but I mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, I've started to kind of get into the whole Lightroom thing again. And Lightroom on iOS devices, I guess specifically on the iPad just because of the bigger screen seems really good like i i i guess i'd I'd look for you to maybe push back here just as someone who is better versed with the desktop version of lightroom but at first glance it it doesn't seem like a like a half-baked like mobile version like it actually really does seem like a pretty well thought out app that does its best to kind of mirror what you can do on your on your computer that's because you missed the first three years of it being an app yeah, okay. So Am- uh, Am- what's what's the one that's not Amazon that starts with A? Adobe uh had like this weird strategy for a while where maybe I guess they were they were trying not to undercut their traditional desktop apps where they just kind of made all these weird funky mini versions of all their apps. 
Whereas in the past, like six to 12 months, they've kind of been reversing that. So Lightroom is way, way better than it used to be. But no, I think, I think you're absolutely right where it is, especially on a tablet is, is a very, very competent, um, mobile photo editing suite. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, even just like little things, like it seems like it has access to kind of like a lot of the same tutorials that the, the full, uh, computer version does or for like full Mac version does, um, which yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting more into that. So maybe more of like a chef special potential preview. <laughs> um, but any, I guess the, the, the first impression was, was strong. Yeah. Good. Um, oh, so you did end up signing up for like the $10 a month, uh, Photoshop Lightroom CC, um, creative cloud membership i did yeah good and and i lightroom cc is the one to use right not the lightroom in the cloud thing sorry they're very confusingly named you want to be using lightroom classic cc not lightroom cc uh what am i you want the one with the square uh the square icon not the rounded icon because it's very because since i have i have the full creative cloud and it's always very difficult to figure out which one's which so I'm, I'm using Adobe Lightroom Classic, but then there's also Adobe. So Adobe Lightroom CC is not what I want to use. You want to be using the one that is a uh, second row, fourth folder. <laughs> so I'm going to the thing here. You sent me a screenshot. I want to be using second row. The one that's like a gray blue, not blue, blue. Okay. I, th- I think, God, it's so sad. I don't even like know exactly which one I've been using. Um, but I, I think if it's, if it looked like that screenshot I sent you of what Lightroom is supposed to look like, then that's what it is. Like the, the, the new version of Lightroom, which is like the one that's supposed to be like, it's all in the cloud and it's all iOS. It does so little where you would know if you were using that one. Yeah, no, Light, Light, Lightroom Classic is what I've been using. Like, I can confirm that now. All right. Um, I have uh, one. This is, this is kind of a, a not a high-profile chef special, but it's actually something that's really cool that um, Matt Howie recommended, who is just a general uh, uh, useful follow on Twitter. Um, is your, does your, you have a stainless steel fridge now, right? Uh Yes. Do you have a stainless steel fridge that they figured out how to magnetize? I don't know. I don't have any magnets. So that's the thing where mo- like so much. Yeah, I mean, I have magnets, but not like not here with me now. <laughs> just to, just to clarify. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so my stainless steel fridge does not. It's not magnetized. Where that's one of the biggest downfalls of it versus traditional fridges is that you can't stick stuff to it without needing like uh, like painter's tape or some kind of like uh, sticky tape. Um, I think I'll tape sticky. I think that's kind of the definition of tape. <laughs> you can edit that out. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll cut most of this. Yeah, we should. Uh, but I have this that, uh, that was recommended. So it's a brand called Slice, and they make uh, a couple of different... Uh, ceramic blade box cutters which are very small very sharp safer and look cool and are very good 
So there's two of them that people should get. One should be the one that I sent you, which is the one with the little, um, the green guy. And then there's also this one, which is maybe a little bit more heavy duty. And I have no idea why that URL is so long. Um, but yeah, this is very cool. Like I, where I have, I always have those, um, like warehousey, uh, box cutters, which seem very unsafe. And I very, I, I hope you guys are not like a use scissors to cut open boxes household. No, 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 no. You, you use, you use the box cutter that comes in the big home Depot toolkit. Yeah. But that one always feels like it's going to rust. And I don't know. I feel like it, that, that seems like not childproof at all. Like, like I think you guys are gonna have to get that. Cause that is a very sharp blade and also a very f- uh, fussy locking mechanism. So I feel like that can't live. Well, there's, a, yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of childproofing that's going to have to happen over ooh, the next couple of years. Have you already given thought to those little, uh, electrical outlet cover thingies uh which ones are you talking about remember whenever people tire a childproof stuff they would always have those little uh like semi-translucent white plug things that you stick into all the outlets because they were afraid the that kids were going to stick stuff into them oh yeah I, I i assume we'll have to do that yeah yeah anyway uh people should go buy these box cutters because they look cool and they work well and they're not that expensive oh very good mm-hmm all right, next week I should not sound like I've smoked 40 packs of cigarettes. 